Hey, Sam. Hey, Bev. How's it going? The sun is in my eyes, which is nice. You have sun where you're at? I do. I have sun, (sighs) even though the wind is blowing like crazy. And I feel like we're allowed to complain about the weather because everyone else is also. Well, technically, we are in what they're calling a quote-unquote bomb cyclone, whatever that means. But (laughs) we have a little bit of snow happening out my window. It is windy AF, and I just don't want anything to do with it, if we're being completely honest. Yeah, no snow here, um, but windy AF, for sure. Yeah. We've had the electricity flicker a few times. We've had the internet go out a few times. (laughs) So we'll see if this uh, episode gets to get finished. Yeah, we'll find out. I mean, just, I mean, total side tangent here. Um, my husband and I had to go drag a 10-foot windmill out of the yard. Oh, no. Because the wind blew so hard, my my windmill got ripped out of the ground. Um, but luckily, it didn't crash to the ground. It just kept leaning back really far. <laughs> we were like, uh, we better go rescue that thing. Luckily, we have a giant barn to put it in. But it was tricky to, like, yeah. walk it over to the barn while the wind was blowing. Yeah, with a 50-mile-an-hour wind gust. No big deal. We're, like, deal. trying not to get killed by the fan blades or anything. I'm like, if this was, like, Final Destination, one of us definitely <laughs> would have, like, at least lost an appendage, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so what are you drinking over there? So I have a barefoot spritzer. Ooh. It's a crisp white, and it's a wine-based spritzer. So it's basically barefoot wine with, like, what's it say? Carbonated water. Hey, look at that. Okay. So it's like a, you know how you can have, like, a white wine spritzer? I think that's what's happening in this can. But I have this thing where, like, I record with you, and I open a bottle of wine, and I don't drink it all in time, and then it goes bad. So I was looking for, like, canned wine, like you hear them talk about on My Favorite Murder. Oh, yeah. And so I found this spritzer situation in my in my grocery store, and I was like, I will try this. And it's quite delicious. It is has aromas and flavors of pear and apple, so it's very nice. I like it. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. So what are you drinking over there? So I am drinking a Marble Brewery Passionate Goza, Ooh. and it is an ale brewed with passion fruit, and it says uh, fantastically fruity and bright. This celebratory sour ale is seasoned with passion fruit and a hint of salt. Nice. And uh, Marble Brewery is in New Mexico. Oh. And I have been there. Okay. They have a location at this really cool place called uh, Green Jeans. And it's a bunch of uh, semi-truck, uh, what are those called? Like containers, the shipping containers. Oh, Stacked okay. up randomly. And they've turned them into like restaurants and stores and stuff. It's It's super cool. It's in Albuquerque. So if anybody is near there, I'm sure they know about it. And they're like, yeah, Bev didn't quite describe that properly. But (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? I don't know any better. So So there we go. Yeah, and I've only been there twice. So I'm not an expert by any means. But welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. That's Bev over there. (laughs) Yeah, and that's Sam over there. And this is the Farm Comedy Podcast that is happy hour for your ear holes. 
We drink adult beverages, talk about farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. Right. Yeah. It's correct. But you know what? Not that we don't want our farms to be full of good things all the time, but the true reality of farm life isn't always rainbows and sunshine. We like to keep it real with you and have discussions that include the mistakes we make, new knowledge we gain, entertainment, and sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related. And speaking of tangents, you can find those over on the Patreon. Yes, we did not record one of those this week because we did record a mini-sode. Do we want to spoil who it was with just in case it doesn't drop before this? Yeah, we recorded with Beaver Vineyards. Yes, it was so much fun, you guys. But that does mean we've had some wine already. um, Because, of course, we had to drink wine when we were talking to somebody that owns a vineyard. Uh, So bear with us today. We're hoping to keep it classy. (laughs) I mean, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Keeping it real corner, I almost just poured my beer into my wine glass from the wine that I didn't quite finish from that episode. (laughs) So we're off to a great start. Wait, this isn't the right glass. <laughs> Switch really quick. Oh, man. Well, you know, we usually have a nice little BS session. So you can go check that out on the Patreon. Um, Patreon.com slash drink and farm. We do not drink when we record those, just as a note. Um, but we do like to talk about regular things. Sometimes they're farm related. Sometimes they're not. It just gives you a chance to get to know us better. Um, but if we don't want to, if you don't want to get to know us better, we don't want to ram that down your throat either. But that is free for everyone to go check out. And while you're there, consider becoming a Patreon supporter of the podcast because right now we're getting ready to prep our thank you gifts for the $5 level and above. And those will go out in early April for the Patreons that are active as of April 1st. Right. So that's not like an April Fool's joke. Like if you actually are active on April 1st, you'll get a gift. (laughs) We swear. (laughs) We promise not a joke whatsoever. Um, And also uh, consider becoming a Patreon because we're getting ready to go to Coop Camp. And one of the things that we're going to do while we're there is uh, record a live episode. We're also going to be emceeing Chicken Poop Bingo. And we're going to also teach a workshop and we need some new equipment in order to get all of that stuff recorded for you guys so that we can post it like as if it were a podcast episode because we're going to be on the road so we're not going to have like our big giant things that we usually have at home Uh uh so yeah becoming a patreon now is super awesome because it means we can bring all of this cool stuff to you we're going to be like working hard while we're there Right. So if you can't make it, it'll be like you kind of sort of made it. You just don't get to see our actual faces and the faces of other fabulous people. Like quite a few of our sponsors will be there. So we're super excited to meet them in person. Um, We've already met Tina in person before from Honey and Rue, but we're excited to meet a few others. But it'll be a great chance for you guys to come mix and mingle. And if you can't, We're hoping to deliver as much value to you as possible when we get home. For sure. And we'll be doing some live things while we're there. So maybe we'll see if we can uh, coordinate doing something live specifically in the Patreon. So extra special. 
Right. So, yes, thank you for heading on over there, checking it out, and considering being a Patreon. And speaking of the Patreon, the drinks this episode were sponsored by Montana Coombs, which is at Thimbleworks on Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. And if you go to her website, thimbleworks.co, you can check out her shop. She has shirts. She has mugs, I believe. She has uh, hen saddles that are freaking adorable and come in alcohol patterns as as well as like cute non-alcohol patterns. But I have like the beer bottle ones and the wine ones and they're freaking adorable. Um, so go check that out. And you can actually use code drink and farm and get 10% off your order when you use that. So head on over there. So we don't have any corrections this week that I'm aware of. Yay, us! <laughs> we are so smart. Woo! At least, you know, at least for one week, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we do have follow-up, right? Yeah, we do. Has Diana ended that hostage situation yet? <sighs> no. She Aww. has not. Come it's on, officially, Diana. like, as we record this, it is Sunday, the 24th of February. Mind you, I woke my husband up at 8 a.m. two weeks ago saying, we need to build a door <laughs> because I couldn't <laughs> feel her ligaments anymore. And I was convinced that she was about to give birth. But as I look at her on my iPad right now, bitch is taking a nap. Sounds about right. When I say bitch, I mean it in the most loving way possible. I think I said that the last episode. But this is ridiculous. Like... The difference between when I couldn't feel Maya's ligaments and when I couldn't feel Diana's ligaments is astronomically different. And I have done some Googling. It is possible for their ligaments to soften to the point where you think you can't feel them, but they might still be there. I can't quite get my fingers all the way around her tail, so it might be another couple days. My suspicion is if, if I had to do like a bedding pool, like they do, you know, the babies for the due dates for humans... I would probably pick Thursday because that's the day it was supposed to happen. If it took when she bred with little toot on Aslan's birthday party, my stepdaughter's birthday party. So that is my guess, <laughs> but we shall see. So hopefully next weekend when we record, we'll have more new baby goats. But right now she's still holding them babies hostage. <sighs> more baby goats, please. Yes, please. I mean, I love having the three that I have right now. They're adorable. Um, but I would like even more <laughs> because it just would be so fun. <laughs> You'd just be like in a baby goat blanket, just like Basically. baby goats laying all over you or more like jumping all over you because oh. they don't lay very well. <laughs> I did get headbutted in the face today by Waffles. He uh, jumped up because they're yeah. both just like, they're all like standing on their back legs and jumping at me. Um, and it, like, hit my glasses, and then my glasses, like, fell on the ground. Luckily, they weren't broken or anything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, yeah, they're very jumpy right now, So, which is just freaking adorable. Don't get me wrong, but it is a hazard. Yeah, you got to watch those uh, chin checks. I got headbutted mm -hmm. in the chin by uh, Coop. He was very upset because Ooh. I was dragging him away from his ladies because he needed oh. to go to the doctor because he was ill. <laughs> and I got headbutted in the face for it. And I had like a good shiner and it hurt for a few days. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And that's with a disbutted goat, too. Could you yes. imagine if the goat had horns? Ooh. Ouchie. Ouchie. Ouchie, ouchie. 
But it looks like you have some follow-up as well with your seedlings. Oh, I do. So um, I went on vacation last weekend, and right before I left, I had taken some of my germinated seedlings and put them in my peat pods. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting them to actually break through while we were gone, Um, but it turned out they did. So I came home to, like, all of these trays of super crazy leggy seedlings because they didn't have light on them. (laughs) So they were all, like, (laughs) bending towards the window, and they were really tall. (laughs) Um, And so I thought I would share a couple of quick tips on like what leggy seedlings are and how to correct them. Okay. So leggy seedlings occur commonly like with seeds that are started indoors. And you can tell that your seedlings are leggy because they have really long skinny stems and really like small or sparse sets of leaves. And they tend to kind of bend towards the window or towards whatever natural light you happen to have in your house if you set up your seedlings away from a window. Okay. And if you leave this uncorrected, it can weaken their stems and stunt their growth, and it makes it so that they're more susceptible to like pests and diseases. Okay. So it's definitely something that you want to take care of. And also, they're a little hard to harden off. And hardening off is when you take your trays of seedlings outside for just like a few hours a day and you slowly increase the time until you plant them in the garden. Because if you take seedlings straight from indoors and plant them outside, they might just like shrivel up and die from the shock because they're like, oh. Your house is so nice and climate controlled, but you go outside and, you know, there's like wind and rain and shade and sun. And yeah, the weather is, you know, weather. (laughs) Um, But leggy seedlings are commonly caused by insufficient light. And one of the ways to correct it is to just get some light on those babies. So I use like these... uh, They're kind of like reading lights, I guess, for lack of a better word. They clip on to the table and they have these like bendable heads that like I can swivel around and there's multiples of them on each set. So and they're specifically grow lights. So they're like the red and blue spectrum of LEDs. Okay. Um, But instead, you can just hang like fluorescent lights or just regular white LED lights. And you want to hang them really close to the seedlings because you'd be surprised. Like they got to almost be touching them when they're new. Like you think if you just like put a light on them that they'll be okay. But really close is really the name of the game for them because they get a little bit of heat from the light which can be tricky with LEDs because they don't put off very much heat. Right. Um, And also they get like the color wave spectrum. And we've already learned Bev is not the greatest at the science. (laughs) (laughs) Neither is Sam, though. But there's like this blue and red and green light wave things. And so, yeah, you got to have like the balance of that, right? I just find... Putting the grow lights on them and turning them on and putting them close seems to help make them pretty strong. Um, And, you know, one option is you could also go like crazy hardcore and get those giant hanging grow lights, which are the red and blue ones that are in like the shop light sized like tubes and Mm -hmm. plates like you see in those big cannabis operations. Oh, okay. I mean, we've all seen those on TV, right? Or in real life maybe i think i've only seen them in on tv yeah i've only seen them on tv too i can't (laughs) pretend like i'm that cool (laughs) 
one of the other things that I'm doing to fix my leggy seedlings is uh, you can run a fan on them. Or since I don't really have an oscillating fan right now, it, it's in the basement and drying out all the flooding we keep having because it oh, won't no. stop raining. <laughs> I just walk by my seedlings every morning and evening and blow on them. Oh, <laughs> that's fair. Because it, it kind of tricks them into thinking that it's a little windy and they have to harden oh. up like to hold up to the wind. And that tends to kind of make them grow a little stronger as well. Okay. So you're lying to them is what you're doing. Pretty much. I'm not starting our relationship <laughs> off very well, that's for sure. <laughs> and fun fact, tomato seedlings can be repotted and the stems can be buried all the way up to the bottom leaves. That's not true of all seedlings. Some seedlings, when you do that, it just rots the stem and then they dampen off and die. And dampening oh. off is basically like, you know, when the top falls off and then, you know. it's no longer so yeah i'm still working on my seedlings it my office is starting to look ridiculous (laughs) to post a picture of it on our stories maybe i'll do that at the end of the week (laughs) but there's pots and seeds and soil and peat pods like everywhere (laughs) oh my gosh hopefully we get to harvest some food from it we'll see oh i'm sure you will so last week we talked about some moon phase planting is that what it was or was it mood what did we call it mood phase gardening yeah it's like gardening by the moon phases that's what i called it yes but we needed to follow up this week because bev found this really neat article on almanac.com so you know it's legit um (laughs) and there's like a bunch of things you can do in accordance to the moon phase in the farm life. So we thought we would just go through that list to share with you because we thought it was kind of cool. You know, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to do a little experiment with some of these to see how it goes. I'm not convinced that this is all real, but maybe it is. I don't know, but it kind of feels a little like old wives tale to me. Um, But I'm willing to give this stuff a shot just to see how it makes things go. Well, it was really funny. What brought this up um, was last night we had some friends over and uh, one of them mentioned, yeah, my uh, we were talking about we needed we need to regravel our driveway. Long story short. And he's (laughs) like, yeah, my friend says that you are only supposed to regravel your driveway like during I forget what it was like a new moon, you know, when the moisture is the least in the ground oh yeah and when he said that i was like oh yeah last week on the podcast we talked about like moon phase gardening and that makes sense to me now that i understand how the moon affects like the moisture level in the ground and i explained like you know watch out next time you mow you know like right before a a full moon and you see it you know like suddenly shoot up three inches the next day and so he's like no this can't be a real thing i'm like yeah google it so he googles the gravel and the moon and you know this came up (laughs) (laughs) and we had like a really good laugh over it because i was like yeah no now that i know what i know about moon phase gardening i wouldn't be surprised if all of these were true like in some sense oh yeah yeah i mean like reading through the list it some of these really do make sense some of them kind of make me tilt my head and like stroke my chin a little bit like I have a beard but I don't um 
The age-old practice of performing farm chores by the moon stems from the simple belief that the moon governs moisture. And Pliny the Elder, which, fun fact, is also the name of a beer that's brewed by Russian River Brewing Company, which is located uh, outside San Francisco, California, um, is a first century Roman naturalist. He stated in his natural history that the moon, quote unquote, replenishes the earth when she approaches it, fills all the bodies, while when she recedes, she empties them. So that's what he said. Thanks, Pliny the Elder. (laughs) I feel enlightened. (laughs) Me too. So the first thing on this list is that fence posts should be set in the dark of the moon to resist rotting. Ozark lore says that fence posts should always be set as the tree grew. To set the root end upward makes a short-lived fence. Which is interesting because how the hell am I supposed to know? I was just going to say, TSC needs to start marking those things, root end, (laughs) not root end. (laughs) That would be helpful. Thank you very much. Hashtag life out here. (laughs) For us that do not cut down our own lumber, um, it's a little tough to tell. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And don't begin weaning your animals when the moon is waning. There's no explanation. That's just all it says. Just don't do it, apparently. Also, it's, you know, best practice to castrate and dehorn animals when the moon is waning for less bleeding. Just FYI. No I could see that. for that either. You really. know, well, because when the moon is waning is when it's not pulling moisture out. Oh. So when it's waxing, your animal will bleed more. So then for this other one, processed meat animals when the moon is waxing for juicier meat is because it's pulling out the moisture. That's my guess. Oh, that's our edumacated guess right there, folks. (laughs) And crabbing, shrimping, and clamming are best done when the moon is full. Yes, the best days for fishing are between the new and full moon, not the full to new, right? Is that how it goes? (laughs) That is correct. Between the new and full. And dig your horseradish in the full moon for the best flavor. Does that mean I have to, like, go outside during the full moon at night and, like, dig it out? Or can I do that during the day of the full moon? I would say during the day of the full moon is fine because depending on where you live, the moon can be fullest during the daytime when the sun is out, depending on what season it is also. And uh, the last thing on this list is to set eggs to hatch on the moon's increase, but not if the south wind blows. We had a good laugh over that also. <laughs> I couldn't say it. Like, keep a straight face. <laughs> what does that mean? But not if the south wind blows. So you need to, like, have a compass out and know whether the south w- wind is blowing during the moon's waxing phase. <laughs> but if I do that in an incubator, does the south wind really matter? That sounds like a philosophical question. If it's like a forced air incubator, is that could that be considered a south wind? It depends on what direction you set your incubator up on. Right? Shoot. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> but I love it. I love it too. I think those things are fun. Um, because like, I, I mean, so we have to keep in mind that even as little as 
25 years ago, people didn't regularly use the internet to figure things out. That's true. Right? That is true. <laughs> I feel like I need to go talk to my dairy farming grandpa and grandma and like ask them if this was how they decided to do certain things like back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's totally worth it to ask them because I am guessing that the answer is yes. We shall see. Maybe we'll have some follow-up about it. If that groundhog was right, spring is right around the corner. And you know what that means, right, Bev? Yeah, warmer weather. So more chore beers to cool us off while drinking and farming? Well, yes, but also warmer weather means more pests will be returning to our farms. But with First Saturday Lime, we'll be prepared. Not only is it a natural way to keep pests away, it also helps absorb ammonia, deodorize, and it helps control bacteria, moisture, and mold. And right now, you can use our coupon code DRINK to get 20% off and free shipping. So go to FirstSaturdayLime.com and use code DRINK today to save. And want to learn more about Lime? Check out our mini-sode with Jessica from First Saturday Lime titled Drink and Lime. You'll laugh, you'll learn, you'll have a good time, and you'll know everything there is to know about Lyme. So we did the not-so-fun part of baby goat keeping this week, and we disputed the kids. Ooh. Yeah. And it was really interesting because the only disputing experience that I've had before is somebody... Like, just coming to our house after I got Little Toot, and she just, like, we took him outside, and she just kind of did it. Um, So I knew, like, basically they scream, like, bloody murder when it's happening. And so I kind of knew what to expect with the sounds and the smell and all of that. Um, But Matt went with me, so (laughs) he hadn't seen it before. Um. And, you know, as a note, we did talk about disbudding pros and cons a bit in the mini-sode titled Drink and Get a Kid that dropped on December 27th of last year, 2018. Um, so if you want to learn more about, like, why it's good, why why it might not be a right fit for your farm, definitely go listen to that episode. But we didn't really dive into, like, what the actual process is. So I thought I'd take the time to let everybody know how this one occurrence of it happened because I do believe everybody does it a little bit differently. And I was just so impressed with how our farm vet did it. That's awesome. And I'm so excited that you have a farm vet to do it. This is one of the parts of breeding goats that I'm not looking forward to. Yeah. Um, But on our farm, we've decided that disbudding is the way to go. And it's a day of unpleasantness. But um yeah, we talk about disbudding a little more in that episode, so I won't go into it. Right. So just as a note, like, I don't know. I haven't looked up, like, how much the iron costs to do it on your own. You know, the cost to build the box that they have to hang out in while you're doing it. Um, but I'm guessing it's, like, way cheaper, especially if you're going to be a serious goat breeder. It's probably a good thing for you to learn how to do yourself because for the three goats, for... They they also did their um, CD&T, and she um, gave them a painkiller orally, and she also did little injections around their horns um, to numb it, 
So she did quite a bit. Basically, this was like spa treatment compared to how little Toot got his done. Um, and for all three baby goats, it cost $124. So depending on if you're going to turn around and sell them or not, or if you're going to keep them or your own financial situation, it might be a good idea to have a mentor teach you how to do this, depending on what your farm goals are. For us, I'd almost rather just take them to the vet and just have them do it because she did an overall check of them as well. That was pretty comprehensive. So to me, there was a lot of value in the price of it. Yeah. Um, a dehorner costs about 78 bucks. Uh, okay. From Valley Vet Supply. Um, but I now this is like another purely speculation corner from Bev. I have a lot of these. <laughs> um <laughs> I believe that you have to have a vet or access to a vet to get like the injectable number. Yes. Um, the oral painkillers. I don't know what you would specifically use on a goat, um, but I'm sure that there are off-label uses of different pain medications that you could give orally. There'd just mm -hmm. be a bit of research involved in figuring out what that is. Right. And Toot didn't get an oral medication or the injections. Those aren't requirements for doing this. I was surprised and impressed that our vet just did that. And looking at the bill, those things were rolled into the cost of the of the actual visit itself and the dehorning. They weren't like a la carte charges for everything. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Like the CD&T didn't cost us a damn thing. So. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the bottle of CD&T medication, I can't remember it's so what it cheap. is. Yeah, I was going to say. It's like I 10 bucks or something. Yeah. <laughs> and we have it in our fridge because we will be the ones that give them their, their booster. Like now that I saw that they had it and they reacted just fine, I yep. feel more comfortable doing it myself. And, you know, we're going to have to administer it to our other goats as well. Um, so whether you have somebody like a fellow hobby farmer that comes help you learn it, or you just take them to the vet. Like, it's just up to you. But if you do decide um, that disbudding is for you and your herd, I did learn a pretty fun fact while I was at the vet. Um, she was really good about walking us through everything and explaining to us what she was doing and why, which I just love because it's not an attitude of, I know what I'm doing. I don't need to explain myself to you. Um, and I think she could tell that we were interested too. So I did find out that a goat's horn base, when fully grown, actually covers 75% of their skull, while a cow's only takes up around 50% or less. I had no idea. Like, that is crazy to me. You know, it doesn't surprise me, though, because we know that the function of a goat's horns is to cool them off, like mm -hmm. in the summertime, or that's one of their functions. So there would be a lot of blood vessels running through it, um, yes. going up into the horns, allowing it to cool off the blood, and then it pumps it back in through right. the skull. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense to me. You know, something to consider, too, is that you can totally dehorn an adult goat but it's way different than just sputting and it's way messier and higher maintenance for after procedure care. And it's way more complicated. Um, just to kind of give you an idea, we'll link to the show notes, like an article that was republished um, because it's got a lot of good information in it. But kind of the summary of that article is that you can numb that area and then take like a saw or some kind of like metal string thing 
and saw them off which means you're going to cut some the arteries that Bev just mentioned. And it'll clot, which is great. But then you're actually creating a hole into the frontal sinuses. So you'll have to cover or plug that hole with clean gauze and change that daily until the wound heals. Um, and that hole will require a long time. It, it requires some time to heal shut, but it will definitely fill with bone and be covered with skin at some point. So for this reason, dehorning is done um, or well, should be done after fly season is over to prevent fly maggots from appearing on the wound or in the sinus, which would obviously cause problems. Yeah. And don't forget when the moon is waning. Yes, that too. <laughs> um, and another reason to keep it covered is to prevent dust and hay from falling into the sinus cavity, which would cause an infection. Um, if the sinuses do get infected, you're going to have to do daily drainage by twisting the head so the fluids run out of the hole, followed by a topical antibiotic application. Um, there's different sprays or treatments you can use for that. So if you, if you like get a goat and it has horns and you have other goats and they're all disputed, this is something to consider. You're either going to have to separate that goat and get them a friend that has horns, or you're going to have to consider doing this procedure either with a vet or learning to do it yourself. To me, <laughs> I would rather go through the very not so fun task of disputting a baby goat or taking them say, and witnessing it. <laughs> you can also cut a pool noodle in half and cover those horns 24-7. <laughs> that might do it. But mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm not going to lie. That procedure sounds like relatively awful for the humans and the goats. I would say the yeah. dehorning an adult goat is one of those like only if absolutely necessary for right. one reason or another. And and I've seen on the internet people use like, you know how like if you're going to castrate a goat, you can use like little Cheerio bands. I've seen them do that with horns too. I, I didn't find much information on that. Um, oh, it's definitely something okay. that people could Google if they're interested. But Definitely going to just try to <laughs> disput our goats up front so we don't have to worry about that. Um, so if you're going to go the disputting route, the ideal window is between like four and ten days old, which seems really young. Um, and we actually waited until day 13, which was cutting it really close, especially for boys because their horns grow faster than the does. Um, but because they're Nigerian dwarf goats, we made it just in time. For like a larger breed, it would probably have been too late and they wouldn't have been able to do it. So while four to 10 days seems like pretty young, um, what's going to happen is the vet, you know, gave our kids a pretty rad haircut that was awful looking, <laughs> but you could see like how much it actually poked through already in just under two weeks. Well, and the reason why you have to do it before a certain age is that the iron has to be bigger than the mm -hmm. horn because you can't exactly. just like burn off part of the horn. It has to be the whole thing. Right. So this is kind of how it worked at our vet's office, which I think, like I mentioned before, was different than what happened in our backyard with little two a little over a year ago. So like I said, she gave him a pretty awful looking haircut <laughs> And while this was happening, the iron was preheating. Uh, uh, the kids got that pain medication. The vet gave them CD&T. And then they got the four small injections around the horn, which was the numbing agent. I think it was lidocaine. I'm not totally sure. 
Um, but honestly, the goats hated those little injections and they screamed their little heads off. Um, and then they just kind of like hung back out with me a little bit. And we like traded the kids off for those first few steps. So the numbing agent would have time to kick in. And then one at a time, we gave them back to her in the order that we went. Um, and she put them in this little disbudding box, which you're going to need. Um, cause they're way stronger and squirrelier than you think. So you really shouldn't skip this part. I have seen videos on YouTube of people just having a helper hold the goat. Um, I wouldn't do that right now because I'm still getting used to watching the procedure. Um, because you can't take your eyes off the kid if you're going to hold them. So yeah. just consider that. And you need to get used to the smell of burning skin and hair and horn. <laughs> so <laughs> use the box. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then the vet sat on top of the box and then placed the iron down around the little butt of the goat. And then they do like counterclockwise circles for three to four seconds. And then the vet put a little like ice pack thing on their heads and let them rest a little bit. But she did say she wanted to do a figure eight method. So it takes another round. And she recommends this for males because their horn base is a little different and bigger um, it'll help prevent scurs. So it's just basically moving up just a little bit from the original site and doing another burn because it's going to take care of more of that area than just one and done, which I'm not sure that toot got done. And he does have little, little, little tiny scurs, not big ones. Um, nothing that's growing back into his head right now. And uh, Mini Coop has scurs as well, and his grow back towards his head sometimes, Aww. so I have to keep an eye on him. Um, I will have to clip them eventually using the horn trimmers if they start to grow towards his head. Luckily, he's so mischievous, he just keeps breaking them off, <laughs> <laughs> which makes, like, I don't have to do the hard part, but it also means I got to, like, do the disinfecting and the blood mm -hmm. clot and the, yeah. <laughs> right. So when it's, this is all done properly, you're going to see a nice copper ring. Um, and after you see that and you believe you have everything burned off, you'll be able to trim the bud off, which is kind of, as the vet described it, like trimming a fingernail at this point. And they didn't even fuss at that part. Um, and then she sprayed some silver stuff on their newly bis bis bleh, their newly disputed heads. Um, which looked way fancier than blue coat because they looked like little rock stars with their really bad haircuts mm. and their silver silver stuff. I couldn't find what it was exactly, um, but it's just like blue coat, but it's silver. Um, they were really kind of stunned and shaky after, but they all walked right over to me and wanted to be comforted. And then after they got home and saw Mama, they were just fine again. And they were bouncing around more than ever. Like, it was like the vet gave them their CD&T and then they were just like super hyper. That's what it felt like. <laughs> well, and I, I'm not surprised to hear that because that's everything that I've heard also. It's like a, it's another one of those like one bad moment, mm -hmm. um, you know, to prevent some of the issues that we had talked about um, with horned goats. Not that there's anything wrong with having horned goats. It's just that it depends on what your setup is and what your farm girls are. Um, they can be, they can definitely cause issues depending right. on what you want to do with your goats. Yeah. Right. Also, I found this really good article, or I guess it's a blog post from Weedem and Reap. 
will link to in the show notes. It has really good pictures in it. It does differ a bit in the approach, which is totally fine. I think everybody does do it a little differently. Um, but if you want to see what it looks like, or I suggest maybe YouTubing some videos, um, just to prepare yourself before you have to watch a baby goat go through that. Um, because it's just, it's not fun to watch. They do scream like you're killing them. Um, even with the numbing agent, like, honestly, I think they scream just as much with it, but I mean, I wouldn't like it either. So I don't really blame them. Well, and I was going to say my baby goats would scream at me when I would pick one up and like separate them from the other one. So it's like, it's one of those things that like how much of it is just like, because baby goats are kind of drama Oh yeah, and like what really hurt, you know, cause they had the numbing agent and the other things that two didn't have. Like, I'm curious, did you, see, did you see like a difference in what their perceived like pain level was? between the vet and doing I, it at home? I didn't. Okay. No. Yeah. And that's kind of what I thought because I had talked to my reader and he uh, works at a vet's office and he said he does all of his goats at home um, mm-hmm. because like putting them under the general anesthesia or doing any of the other like numbing things didn't make any difference to how they behaved and they all just like bounced right off afterwards oh yeah like as long as it wasn't under the general anesthesia it turns out general anesthesia can be kind of uh uh, dangerous for goats depending on what it is that they need you have to like Uh outweigh the risks and benefits of that and for dehorning the risks don't outweigh the benefits right because they don't act any different afterwards (laughs) right and the vet was saying bottle babies are even easier because you can distract them with a bottle of goat milk or electrolytes afterwards to give them a little extra boost yeah, um, which is what we do after shots here also. We try to feed them while giving the shots. Right. Yep. A, a thing I didn't put in the notes, but I do want to point out um, that something you guys should be aware of if you're going through this is that when we got home, because they smelled funny, because they smelled like, you know, burnt hair, a little bit of burnt skin, um, mom didn't recognize their scent right away. So she was not a fan for the first like hour or two. And because I have the webcam, I was keeping an eye on it um, because I knew they were probably hungry. And I was looking at her udder and it looked like so full and almost like uncomfortable. So I was like keeping a hawk eye on the camera. (laughs) Um, But it was because they smelled different. So something I didn't have to do, but I did read on the Internet was that you could put some Vicks Vapor Rub on the doze, like on the top of her nose and on kind of on the kid on like the rear side um, because it would cover that burning smell and she'd take to them again. So after like two or three hours, she was fine and they were eating. Um, She got over it. (laughs) But, you know... It's very, very unlikely that she'd completely reject them after that, but it's not super weird if mom's acting a little funny towards them afterwards. So just to note, I was really concerned for a minute, um, but it turns out that can be kind of normal. Well, another thing that I thought of, which is another like purely speculation corner on Bev's part, (laughs) Bev just likes to like make shit up and then correct herself next week. Um, I wonder if milking her a little bit and putting it on the baby goats 
would oh. um, like make them smell like hers again. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting point. I did see um, if mom rejected them right after birth, you should kind of like wipe them on her backside so they could she could smell them that way and smell her on them so i don't know if that would work with milk maybe we'll have to do a little research and do a little follow-up next week yeah for sure i'm curious about that so we learned that chickens are gonna help kick cancer's ass if the fda approves of it yeah. Yeah. This is kind of something we've, we've had this article in our back pocket for a little bit and I'm excited that we actually have time to talk about it. We've had so much going on the past couple of weeks. Um, but we're excited to tell you guys this, not so much like late breaking news, but, um, yeah. So it turns out that the university of Edinburgh, <laughs> university of Edinburgh, which is in Scotland, um, their researchers have genetically modified hens that can lay eggs containing a protein able to treat cancer. Woo! That's where the excitement noises go. It's yeah. It's delayed on my part. but Well, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like, it's one of those things that like when you hear it, you're like, wait, how am I supposed what? to respond to this? <laughs> what? <laughs> right. Because I said the words genetically modified. And I think a lot of people cringe at that. Yeah. But then you said treat cancer. And everybody's like, wait, no, we have wait. to celebrate that. Right. I'm feeling so torn about these words. <laughs> <laughs> Too many buzzwords in one sentence. Ah! <laughs> so after researchers spliced a human gene into the chicken's DNA, the animals began laying eggs boosting a significant amount of two proteins used to treat diseases, including cancer in humans. So it's like the, the chicken has something within them now that passes out in the egg that can be used as a cancer drug, essentially. That's how they're genetically modified. So protein-based drugs are actually commonly used to treat cancer and other diseases like arthritis. But these can be really expensive to produce and have relatively low yields, which makes, you know, cancer treatment, other kinds of drugs, extremely expensive. Yeah, for sure. So what they did with the chicken and the DNA and all that allows for the chickens to produce those proteins in their egg whites. And the chicken sheds are far cheaper to maintain than doing all of this in sterilized rooms used for factory production. So they're literally putting these chickens to work and they're using their natural bodily functions to basically cure cancer by making them lay eggs with drugs in them. Does that make them like drug smugglers? Yeah, I mean, smuggling <laughs> drugs up your butt isn't totally unheard of. <laughs> I think you just found the title of the podcast. Oh, no. (laughs) I think I might have. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all it's science. More science. Science, bitch. Um, Okay. So this is so cheap because it's actually really easy to recover proteins from each egg using simple purification systems. And the genetic modification has no adverse effects on the chicken who lay the eggs in a regular way. Which is super awesome and important. 
mm-hmm. um, because it's yes. good to point out um, that animals can be used in ways that are beneficial to humans without harming them. Exactly. Sorry, I saw something from PETA today, so I I always get fired up when I see one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. So if you're super sciencey and nerdy, maybe this will make sense to you. But the team has focused on two proteins that are essential to the immune system. One is IFN-alpha-2A, which is um, a powerful antiviral and anti-cancer kind of effect on the body. And then the other is a macrophage CSF, which is being developed as a therapy that stimulates damaged tissue to repair itself. So it's like two power proteins. I'm really glad that you're the one that had to say that because when I was reading it, I was like, if Nalpha 2A. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just totally guessing if that's how you actually say that. You know, you got to fake it till you make it sometimes. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it's really interesting to point out, too, that three eggs are enough to produce one dose of the drug. And chickens, depending on the breed, can lay up to 300 eggs per year. So with enough chickens, the researchers believe they can produce drugs in commercial quantities. That's pretty awesome. And those chickens sound like they would have a a pretty bougie life because like they just have to get oh. the eggs from them right yes, like yes. It, they're not necessarily like for human consumption and like it doesn't matter if the chickens get to do all of their natural stuff it doesn't affect anything like they just need the eggs oh for sure these chickens are living the high life um and they're well treated um you know th- there might be some concerns when you think about like the meat industry and how those chickens are housed with the volume of chickens you might need if this is a way to cure cancer. Um, that People might get a little upset about their conditions, but hello, they're curing cancer. So I think there's a bit of a balance there we can consider. Yeah, I think so too. Um, because it, it is important to point out, and I can't remember what episode it is. We, we point this out a couple of times, um, that there is value in human life. Um, I know that people like to joke um, about like, you know, I like my dogs better than people or I like my chickens better than people. (laughs) But like all of those people, whether they're awesome people or people that really great on you, they're somebody's brother or sister or daughter or husband Uh or like they're important to somebody. So human life has a lot of value to it. Right. And when you're talking about this is like a bigger picture and I'm, I'm not getting political here, but when you're talking about the cost of healthcare and the cost of drugs, I mean, productions from these chickens can cost anywhere from 10 to a hundred times less than in the factories. So at the very least, we'd be seeing 10 times lower overall manufacturing cost utilizing an animal that is genetically modified and still acting like a chicken and doing what chickens do. Yeah. Which is something that's really important also, because like regardless of where you are in life, the cost of, of medicine and medical procedures Mm -hmm. and drugs, it will affect you at some time. Right. Like no matter how healthy you think you are, like trust me on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
And you know what? This is actually not the first time genetically modified animals have been approved or used in developing drugs. So the first was a a blood thinner made from an altered goat's milk. And this received FDA approval in 2009. But obviously hens are a little more efficient because larger mammals require more space and feed than chickens. So this isn't unheard of. We know how goats waste hay. Oh. oh. <laughs> Using goats for anything oh. is a little tricky. <laughs> and, like, we've been feeding the girls more, obviously, because they're producing milk. And, oh, my God, the volumes of poop now. Yeah. Holy shit. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know what is really interesting about eggs is that eggs are already used for growing the viruses that are then used in vaccines like you know, the flu shot. Um, and the new research offers a different approach for this possible cancer drug um, because the therapeutic the therapeutic proteins are encoded in the chicken's DNA and produced as part of the egg white. So basically what happens with that is like the this um, candidate vaccine viruses or CVV, uh, CVVs are grown in eggs per current FDA regulatory requirements for the flu shot. Um, and these CVVs are then injected into fertilized hen's eggs and incubated for several, several days to allow the virus to replicate. And the virus-containing fluid is harvested from the eggs. So for flu shots, the influenza virus for the vaccine is then inactivated or killed and the virus antigen is purified. So for, you know, shots like the flu, you're taking something that's already come out of the chicken and, and altering it. Whereas with this cancer drug, it's the chicken is just modified to do that naturally through the egg laying process. So it's different, but the same in some ways. Um, obviously there are different, I think there's like two or three different ways the flu shot can be made. So this isn't the only one. We'll link to some articles in the show notes, including the ones for this. But, you know, it's not the only way the flu shot's made, obviously. I I don't react well to eggs, so I would need, like, a non-egg one if I was going to get one. (laughs) And there's, like, a flu or, like, a nasal spray as well. So everything's done a little differently. But I think it's just really cool that eggs can help people for more than just eating them. Yeah, I think it's really neat, too. And I'm glad that we talked about how um, this is not the only way that the flu vaccine is made, just in case, because I know that that might not sit well um, Mm -hmm. with some vegans. um, And I know that some vegans do listen to us. So, um, yeah, if you get your flu shot, you can specifically ask for one that's not um, um, egg-based, if that's something that you need or want but yeah that's usually why they ask you if you are allergic to eggs or have any um or have any reactions to eggs um same with like a a tb test they ask you if you react to eggs and a couple of other things so yeah so i think i think we're ready for our housekeeping yeah we are coop camp dates have been announced they're june 7th through 9th um, and you can register at fadedgenes.tv slash coop-camp.html. Don't worry. You don't have to remember all that. We'll have it in the show notes. And you can hang out with us, your favorite right. podcasters. Yay! Yeah, we just 
officially booked our hotel room, so it's like official official that we're going. Not only do we have admission, we also have a place to stay. Um, so make sure you register and book your hotels. There's quite a few options that you can look at, um, and we're excited to see you there. We sure are. So also make sure you take our survey. Um, it allows you to give us anonymous feedback about how you're doing, what you like, what you don't like. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes for that as well. It also helps us with advertisers and things like that. So it's a great way to support the podcast for free. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. We have a lot of awesome things going on in there. There will be a link yes. to that in the show notes. Yes. And pretty, pretty please review us in all the places. We haven't had a review since 2018, and it's on, on iTunes anyways. And it's making my heart feel a little sad. So if you could go do that, um, that would be great. And But if like you really like us, make sure you hit the download as well as the subscribe button. Um, because that's like, you know, how people find us because it boosts our search results and it's a great way for us again to find other advertisers so we can keep bringing you this spectacular content week after week. Yeah. And don't forget we sell merch. We have stuff that Sam makes, um, over on our website and your purchase helps support the podcast, and that's over on drinkandfarm.com slash shop. Um, but we also have a second merch shop, and it's over at drinkandfarmmerch.com. And these are things Sam doesn't make, but there's uh-uh. some shirts, some hoodies, <laughs> some camping cups. Uh, I mean, all sorts of cool stuff. So go buy a shirt and help us make sure that we actually make it over to Coop Camp. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> And make sure you send us your farm stories. If you have a story about your farm that'll make people laugh or learn or just warm their hearts, we want to hear it from you. So send us them on Instagram via direct message or email them to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We always have a great time uh, hanging out with each other and talking directly to you. And oops, I hit my cord. That means it's time to be done. Yes. (laughs) So drink. Farm. And and give give zero zero clucks. clucks. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye.